Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Well, thank you for trusting God with your life. Thank you for trusting this church. Thank you for being a part of this church and what a special part you are. And I have a word from God for you. I just cannot get away from this topic about how to truly love, how to truly love. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is first John, chapter four, verse 19, where it says we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And one translation says we love him because he first loved us. Of course, all love starts with God. God is love, right? All love starts with him. We love him because he first loved us. But the New Living Translation says something interesting. It says we love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. So in other words, the only way to love him is to first understand his love for us. And the only way to love each other is to first understand his love for us. We love each other because he first loved us. It's the same thing, really, when you think about it. If we do not love each other, we're really not loving God. But we can't really love God until we understand how much he loves us, because our love for him is a reflex. Our love for him is not an effort on our part. It's not a, a, a focus on our part to make sure we love him. He's saying a matter of fact, a reflexive relationship when we know his love for us. We naturally we as a reflex love him back. And as a reflex, we love each other because he first loved us. If you could understand that he loved you at your worst, then you could love others at their worst. Sometimes we expect to be loved at our worst, but we don't love others at their worst. But we need to learn to do that. And we need to get the horizontal and the vertical relationship, as I talked to you previously about the horizontal and vertical relationship. First is the vertical is our relationship with God. We we trust God. And then our horizontal relationship is we love people. If we get that mixed up and we start tr trusting people instead of putting our trust in God, then we're going to be disappointed. But when we learn how to receive his love, the reflexes, we love others in the, in a similar way, regardless of whether they deserve it or regardless of whether they treat you right. Like God didn't love us because we treated him right. He loved us while we were enemies of him. The Bible says while we were enemies of God, he loved us while we were sinners. He loved us while we were against him. He loved us anyway. What a beautiful concept. <laughs> what a beautiful thought at any time and every time. And remember, if we trust God and love people, the way we love people is by having empathy, not sympathy. Sympathy is simply feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is truly feeling somebody, feeling them, understanding them. A definition for empathy is the ability to communicate that incredible healing message of you're not alone, the ability to communicate that the that incredibly healing message that you're not alone to communicate that to somebody, to get that message across to somebody. That's empathy. And empathy is the heart of God. Empathy is the heart of God. I want that to sink into your life, in my life. I want to sink. I want it to sink into our church. I want it to sink in to our soul that empathy is the heart of God. 
Empathy is the heart of God. He had he's made great effort to communicate that incredibly healing message to us that we're not alone. Look at what it says in Matthew, chapter one, verse twenty three, where it says, and they shall call his name. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. The healing message that we're not alone is found in Jesus coming to this earth. God with us. That's a healing message that he's not God looking down at us. He's not God distant from us. He's God with us. Let that peace come over you when you get a hold of that God with us concept. Oh, it's so amazing that he's that that he has that much empathy that he doesn't just feel what we feel, but he came to feel it with us, not just to feel it for us, not to just feel it so he could know what it felt like, but to actually feel it while you're feeling it. Whatever you're going through right now, he is going through it with you, with you. It's a beautiful concept. It's just it's the beauty of Jesus. Empathy. It's the heart of God. Empathy doesn't judge, doesn't ridicule, doesn't belittle anybody, doesn't demean anybody. Empathy is open and accepting of everyone, regardless of their history, their background. Obviously, there are exceptions in every situation, every concept or principle. There are exceptions. But empathy doesn't judge prematurely. Empathy doesn't attach labels on people. Empathy is the ability to accurately experience another person's internal world, to experience another person's internal world, to experience with them their conflict. You're not alone. You're not alone. How different it is for us to relate to a God who can relate to us. You see, we're not trying to relate to a God who doesn't relate to us. He related to us first. He can feel what we feel. He experienced the human experience so that we would be able to approach him. He experienced the human experience so that he could not only feel everything we felt, but so that we would feel he's approachable, that we could go to the throne of his grace to receive mercy and to find grace and to help in our time of need, as Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 tells us. But Empathy is to enter into somebody's story, to enter into somebody's story and to and to, to want to walk with them through it into the next chapter. How do we do this? How do we show empathy to others? How do we truly love? How do we truly love? Well, first, we have to understand that life is a journey. Life is a process. Life is evolutionary. And when I when I say this, as I mentioned this previously, I want to drill down on these four things that are ways to show empathy, to truly love. Here are ways to truly love. It's not just to tell somebody you love them or you're trying to understand them. It's to understand behind the scenes when somebody reacts, somebody responds in an angry way, they're hurting inside. Somebody responds or acts in a in a in a way that surprises you or shocks you, it's because of what's happening inside of them. If we could have empathy, it means that we 
enter into that internal struggle with them, not to fight against them, but to but to appreciate the journey that they're on, to respect the journey that we're on, that they're on, just as we want them to respect the journey that we're on, whether it has to do with your spouse, your kids, your parents, your co-workers, fellow members of church, fellow members of your family. We have to understand that life is evolutionary. Christianity is evolutionary. The early Christians, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They had the stories that other people told. They didn't have first Corinthians and second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. It evolved. It took hundreds of years for these letters to come together as what we call the word of God, the Bible. The New Testament is both evolutionary and positive. It's evolutionary and positive. I want you to think about the the language Jesus uses when he's talking to the crowds, the multitudes, or even when he's talking to his disciples. He uses parables of the kingdom that lean heavily on growth and development and evolution and process. I'm not talking about the theory of evolution of man evolving from an animal. I'm talking about the evolution of how change takes place in our lives, the evolution of growth. Look at how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God is a seed. How many times do we see in the Bible the kingdom of God is a seed? Matthew, chapter four, verse 26, for the kingdom of God is like a man that plants seed in the ground, goes to bed at night and the seed sprouts up and grows. It matures on its own that one plants another waters. But God gives the increase. There's a process. There's evolution there. Sometimes we take snapshots of promises that we want to see fulfilled in our life when life is not a snapshot. It's not an Instagram post. It's not a it's not a moment in time. Life is a process. Life is a journey. Life is a story unfolding. We have to really grab a hold of that to understand people. We have to grab a hold of that to understand ourselves. We have to grab a hold of that and we have to realize that the Christian life is an evolutionary process. It's unfolding. It's transformational over time. Jesus talks about the seed. His parables are almost always about finding, discovering, growing, being surprised, experiencing reversals of uh, expectations and reversals of fortune, changing roles and status, people changing, people growing, people discovering, people finding, people experiencing. That's what life is. And I think we're judgmental over others because we expect them to be a certain way because we are. And it's really self-righteous to expect somebody to, to be a certain way at all and thinking that we're somehow better. It's self-righteous. Jesus talks about taking the log out of your eye so you can see clearly to see it's really a speck in the other person's eye. You think it's a log in their eye, but it's really a speck. The log is because it's coming out of your eye. Self-righteousness. Boy, if we could get a hold of this, we would stop killing the wounded. You know, when Christians fall and stumble and make mistakes, other Christians pile on, they write articles about them, they 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 cancel them in the cancel cancel culture that that we live in this world. When somebody makes a mistake, when somebody does something that we think that's shocking, that's surprising, really, because we've all done shocking, surprising things. It's called human. It's called being human. It's called being normal. It's called evolution. It's called life is a process. Life is a seed that 
takes time. It's dirty. Think about a seed is covered with dirt. Life is dirty. Life is messy. It's muddy. When it rains, the seed, the dirt around the seed is mud, wet and moist, dirty, filthy, gets all over things like that's life. We have to embrace like anybody that's ever had a baby knows that life is messy. It's messy. It's messy in the womb. It's it's messy coming out of the womb. It's messy for the next 18 years outside of the womb and maybe years and years after that as well. If we could just pause for a moment and take a learn a lesson from a mother that will tell us that she believed in her child all those years, but the child's life was a mess and and growing is a mess and making a mess on your high chair and making a mess on the, you know, the the booster seat in the back of the car and making a mess over in the diaper, making a mess in everything. Children are that people are that Christians are that. But thank God we have a heavenly father that doesn't take a snapshot of us in our work with our worst expression and our worth our work with our worst look and says that's who we are. No, he he's a movie producer of a life journey. He's the author and finisher of this life journey. Boy, we get a hold of this and we're finally going to love how we're going to learn how to truly love our love ourselves, love others because we understand and embrace that life is evolutionary. I want you to think about that. Why is this so important? Because without this embracing, accepting of life's process, we become very impatient with ourselves. We become impatient with others, particularly when we have a setback. We don't tolerate that in other people. We may tolerate it in ourselves, but we barely tolerated in others. And what we have to do is we have to rally around others and rally around ourselves at times and encourage us, encourage ourselves. David had to encourage himself in the Lord. First Samuel, chapter 30 said there wasn't anybody around to encourage him. They were discouraged and they were thinking about killing him because they were so embittered and sad about what had happened when their city was taken captive and burned with fire. But he had to encourage himself. At times you have to encourage yourself. And I really want to encourage you to When you have a setback, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Give yourself time. Give yourself room. We have to understand that life is a process. Second Corinthians 318 says, and we all with unveiled face. I shared this with you recently. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from one degree to another. He's talking about change one degree at a time. You know, some of you remember when we were sharing about fasting from wrong thinking um, earlier in this year, you remember that we talked about how water boils and turns into steam only at 212 degrees. It doesn't it doesn't turn into steam at 211 degrees. It's one degree away. That's how much a difference one degree can make. And that's why he says in this verse, we're being transformed into the same image as we're looking into the word of God and looking at. Jesus, the glory, who we are in Christ, we're being transformed into that image as we read the Bible like a mirror. This is what we really look like as we're looking at it. It's transforming us. But how is it transforming us? It's transforming us 
one degree at a time. From one degree of glory to another. You know, when you when you see yourself every day, you might be you might look a lot different than you did six months ago. But when you're seeing yourself every day, 20 times a day in the mirror, you don't notice the transformation that takes place because it was one degree after another. But when somebody hasn't seen you and that same change took place that same six months, somebody hadn't seen you in six months and then they see you again to them, you look dramatically different and you're like, I don't feel like I look different at all because for you, you didn't notice it because it was one degree at a time. Just one degree from 211 to 212 makes the difference. That's why what's going on behind the scenes of your life. Don't get discouraged as you're trusting God and as you're praising him, as you're as you're connecting with church, as you're planting your seeds. Don't worry if it doesn't look like on the outside it's changing. It is one degree at a time, but you're not going to notice it, notice it as much as if you step back and could see the bigger picture and see from perspective of time. So we need to understand this journey so that we don't. We're not so impatient with with ourselves and with others. Without this and by the way, if I can put it to you this way, Jesus language of growth in the Bible, the language that Jesus uses in the Bible. Well, what language did he speak? Did he speak English? Did he speak Aramaic? Did he speak Chaldean? Did he speak a Hebrew? Hey, he spoke a language of growth. He spoke a language of love and growth, patience, the, the, the smallest seed, the mustard seed over time grows into the largest tree. You see, he's speaking a language of growth. He's speaking a language of patience. He's speaking a language of trust. This patience that we witness that Jesus has towards people, patient towards Peter, who betrays and denies and all of the things he's patient with us, patient with man. God is patient with mankind. He's patient with you. This patience is the very shape of love. Patience is the shape of love. We're being renewed day by day. Don't grow weary. It's working. You're being transformed. You might not notice it. It's working. How do we show empathy to others by understanding it's a process, it's evolution, life change. Don't demand somebody to arrive at a certain place that either you haven't arrived at yet or took you years to arrive at. Give people room. Secondly, stop judging yourself or others during an incomplete stage of life, during contradictory stage in life. People go through seasons, people go through stages, people go through seasons where their body is changing. When you, anybody ever have a 13 year old? Anybody remember being a 13 year old? Everything changes. Then it all changes again when you're like in your 30s. Then it all changes again when you're in your 40s or 50s and it keeps changing. And we have to have this patience and stop judging a person who's maybe spiritually or emotionally still in their teenage years and we're expecting them to behave like they're a cent a centurion or whatever, someone who's 100 years old, whatever you call that. Like you think about it, we're expecting this kid, spiritually speaking, to behave like a grown adult. 
when they haven't developed fully yet. We need to stop judging ourselves during a contradictory stage of our lives. Stop judging others during a contradictory stage in their life. And what I mean by contradictory is a, a stage where they're maybe they're in a season of discovering, trying to figure out more about their relationship with God. They're trying to understand themselves so they can heal themselves, so they can. So that they can address the things that maybe they didn't address when they were a kid and they got to to grow up, you got to at some point face that you have to change. You got to at some point face that there's some things that stayed broken in you for years and years, and you got to be willing to go through the process of healing those things, letting God heal those things. But you've got to be willing to be a part of the process. And it's a process So stop judging. The third way we can have empathy with people is to rejoice with people when they rejoice. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Hey, when someone's weeping, it's usually because they've they're suffering some sort of devastation, some sort of loss in their life. And to be able to appreciate and have patience with them and have compassion on somebody is to know that we all have seasons where we're weeping. When somebody's rejoicing, we should rejoice with them. It's easy to get jealous when somebody's rejoicing and you're not. Well, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's empathy. Even if you're not, you haven't. They've they are experiencing breakthrough, so they're celebrating. And you've been waiting for your breakthrough longer than them and they get it before you do. Well, go ahead and rejoice with them because you got to picture your life when you have the breakthrough and what you want others to do with you is rejoice. And when somebody's going through a loss, value that their emotions matter, even during times of loss. Jesus was like this and is like this still. And then the fourth thing, I don't want us to miss this, is we talked about how we must use time as a gift to give use time as a gift to give. We have to give ourselves time. We have to give others time. We have to give God time. We give ourselves time to grow and evolve. We give others time to grow and evolve. We give God time to make beauty from ashes. Give God time to make all things beautiful. As the Bible says, he makes everything beautiful in its time. Give God time to turn your sorrow into joy, to turn the curse into a blessing. He paid for it on the cross, but give him give God time to reveal it, to unfold, to let it unfold in your life. Don't be in such a hurry. Like if I don't see this promise show up in my life today, I'm going to stop believing it. You might choose to stop believing it, but the promise is still true, even if you haven't seen it show up yet in your life, like give God time. Give seeds time to grow into trees. They take time. There's a reason why things take time in nat naturally so that we would learn lessons from those things that take time. It's so important that we get a hold of this. Look at what it says in Second Peter three, eight. Behold, do not let this one thing escape your notice. It's pretty important that to the Lord with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. And then he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. Now, some people might 
counted as being slow. But to God, it's because he's patient toward us. Look at what he says. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. Some people might say God's slow about his promise. Why is he taking so long? Because he's being patient toward you. He's being patient towards me. He's being patient towards others, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Someone might say with all that's going on in the world today, isn't God coming back? Isn't Jesus coming back? It must be the time is, you know, what's going on with the beast and the mark of the beast and all the six, six, six and all that. Like the Lord is going to come when he is good and ready. He's going to come again. And let's not let's not forget that God's timing is perfect timing. God's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. You know what God's interested in? He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What a powerful thought that maybe Jesus is delaying his return. And not that he's delaying it like he didn't know he was going to when he's going to come. The father knows when he's going to come, obviously. But my point is, is the reason why you might be thinking, why isn't it? Why is it now? Like if God was going to Jesus was going to come back anytime, we need him now more than ever. But if he came back now, would all your family members be saved? Would all the people that you've been talking to and praying for, would they already be saved? See, he's being patient because he's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We might be like, Lord, rapture us, get us out of here, get us out of this mess. But God's being patient towards others because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Now, not all are going to, but he wants them to. He wants everybody to come to repentance. So he's going to give people as much time as he possibly can. As long as it fits in to his ultimate plan and purpose, he's going to be patient with you. He's going to be patient with me. He's going to be patient with us. You see, when we get a hold of this kind of love, this kind of empathy, how to really love, I, I, I told you four things. Understand it's evolution. It's a process. Be patient. Stop judging yourself or others just because they're going through a contradictory stage. What you see, you see a kid at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old that don't confine that person to how you define that person at this stage in their life. Give time, room, rejoice with those who rejoice. We said weep with those who weep, enter into the, the, the moments that people are dealing with and don't rush them out of, hey, stop rejoicing now or don't rush them out of weeping. Hey, OK, you've cried long enough now. Come on, pick yourself up and let's go. Give people time. Use time as a gift to give. Give it to yourself. Give yourself time. Give others time. Give God time. When we get a hold of this, when we understand this is how to truly love, that empathy is the heart of God. Let me tell you what's going to happen when we get this true love, how to truly love this way, because he first loved us. We're going to win the world to Jesus. We're going. Look, if we get a hold of this, we're going to win the world to Jesus. God's given us an opportunity. He's given us a gift. How many times have I said that in the last 12 or 13 months? God has given us a gift, a pause in humanity. We've never experienced it before in our lives, the shutting down the world for a year. And yes, parts of it are open. And part of that has been destructive and 
damaging to people and I'm all for everybody recovering and everybody being restored. But I also see the silver lining in every cloud. I believe or I look for the silver lining. We look for the good, right? We're looking for the good. Whatever you look for, you're going to find. Let's look for the good. And God has given us an opportunity to to really understand what people are going through, to really appreciate and value the suffering and pain that other people experience different than you. When we get a hold of this kind of empathy, this kind of love, when we truly love like this, we're going to win the world to Jesus. John 1335. Look at what he says. By this will all men know. That you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. The, the greatest proof of being Jesus disciples is not our miracles. It's not speaking in tongues. There's nothing wrong with miracles. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. Got me. But none of those things will make all men know. But this one thing will. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, maybe they're still not going to get saved, but at least we give them the best chance of being saved by showing them that we're truly his disciples so that they can say, well, I know you're his. I know you're a real disciple of Jesus. I know Jesus is real and I know you're a disciple of his because you have love for one another. But I'm not I'm not ready. You see, I believe if we really live like this, people are going to rush into the family of God. They're going to come running into the family of God if we really, truly love like this with empathy. When we get a hold of this, we're going to win the world to Jesus or give this world the best chance it has of being one to Jesus. Secondly, when we love like this, our faith is going to work. The Bible says faith works by love in Galatians chapter five verse six. Now, I realize faith works by God's love for us. But if we're really if we're really believing the love God has for us, we're going to believe in other people. We're going to believe the promises of God. We're going to trust God. We're going to have faith. God's words are going to come to pass. We're going to we're going to be patient. And if we really are believing the love God has for us, we'll hang in there. We won't give up. We won't quit because in due season we shall reap if we don't faint, if we don't give up. This kind of love from God towards us and out towards others, it makes our faith work. It really causes the promises of God to come to pass because we know that God loves me too much to break his promise to me. God loves me too much to ever give up on me. God loves me too much to ever leave me or forsake me. This makes your faith work, this kind of love. What will happen when we get this, when we get this? See, remember when I was maybe you remember I used to say it early on during the pandemic that if we if we beat the virus, but we haven't learned to love, what good did it do if we beat the virus, but don't learn to value one another and respect one another? What good did it do if we don't if we beat the virus, but don't learn how to walk by faith and not by sight? What good did it do? Remember that? Like, what good does it do when we get this? We get this how to truly love souls are going to be saved. We're going to win the world to Jesus. Our faith is going to work when we get this, this true love, how to truly love. When we get this, we will cover each other 
when we fall, when we stumble. First Peter, chapter four, verse eight says love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Above all, he says, above all. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So often people are uncovering each other. Trying to see, trying to expose what somebody else's sins or weakness or mistakes are. What if we could live a life? Where we truly knew that we had people that were going to have our back, that we have people that are going to love us anyway, cover us anyway. Yes, we're all going to make mistakes. I'm not saying to just go and make them on purpose. And just live however you want. But what I'm saying is, shouldn't we have that kind of love towards one another that we don't? We're not in a hurry to judge, rush to judgment, expose them. Media exposes things. Believers cover a multitude of sin. lovers cover a multitude of sins. And Jesus washed away all of our sins, but Christians don't. They uncover them sometimes. They expose the people and cover the devil. We need to be covering the people and exposing the devil. And this is what the devil's up to is getting people to have judgment towards others, to have self-righteousness towards others, to doubt God's love, to doubt his promises, that that's what Satan's up to. We can do something about it. We have more authority than the devil does. But our authority operates in a spirit of love and in a context of love and in an atmosphere and attitude of real love. Boy, when we get this, fear will end. When we get this kind of love, fear will end because the Bible says in first John four eighteen that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love. There's no fear in love. When you're truly loved by when you know that you're truly loved by God and you allow that love to be shared towards others, being patient towards them, trusting the process, believing in the evolutionary process of people's souls, giving them time, rejoicing when they rejoice, weeping when they weep like this kind of love from God to us, from God towards others and then towards each other horizontally. It causes fear to leave. Boy, to live a life free from fear. That's what everybody, how everybody should be living without fear. Perfect love casts out fear, banishes fear, puts fear. It ends it, stops it. If you're in fear, it's because you haven't gotten a hold of this kind of love that God has towards you. He's this way towards you. He rejoices when you rejoice. He weeps with you when you weep. He gives you time. He's patient with you, patient with me. He doesn't judge us in through a temporary Instagram selfie or Instagram moment or Kodak moment, as we used to call it back in the day. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't define us by that. He sees us finished. He sees the finished work and he's working in us to bring that finished work to pass. He finished the work on the cross, but he's bringing it to pass in your life. When we get this. The world will start will start listening to us. Look at what it says in Psalm 116, verse one. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. I want you to think about that for a moment. 
I love the Lord because he hears my voice. One of the things that causes me to be in love with God is I know that he's listening. He hears my voice. You see, we will we will cause the world to understand love, to understand empathy, to understand God's love when we become listeners, when we become listeners. The world will start listening to us when we love by listening. Did you hear me? The world will start will start listening to the gospel when we demonstrate love by listening to what they're going through, by listening to what your coworkers facing, by listening to somebody's cry, by listening to somebody's pain, by listening to somebody's situation or trial that they're going through and having empathy, stepping into their story with them. See, when we get this, we'll win the world to Jesus. When we get this, our faith will not fail. When we get this, we'll cover each other. When we get this, fear will end. When we get this, the world will start listening to us because we were listening first. And one final thought, when we get this, when we discover this kind of love and start walking in this kind of empathy, the heart of God, we will become healers to this world. We we will become healers. In Matthew, chapter 14, verse 14, it says, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. He wasn't moved with judgment. He wasn't moved with frustration. He was moved with compassion. Compassion moved him. And what did he do? He healed their sick. This kind of empathy, this kind of love makes you a healer of others. You're no longer competing with them, comparing to them. You're moved with compassion towards them and you heal them. Jesus experienced humanity so he could feel everything we feel and heal everything that's hurting. You see, because he stepped into the human experience and became God with us in flesh, he became approachable. He took on death, took on sin, became sin for us on the cross. He took our bruises. He took our wounds by his stripes were healed. He took all of that. And I think we if we would. We would stop dehumanizing Jesus and realize that he lived this earth as a human. Now he was without sin, but he felt every temptation. He felt everything you feel. He was tested with everything that we've been tested with, tempted with everything and without sin. But that makes him approachable. That's why he is touched. Hebrews four, verse 15. We have a high priest who's touched with our feelings. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He feels that he's touched by it. But it says that's what makes him a high priest that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. This is what makes Jesus so approachable, makes the father so approachable is he felt what we felt. He experienced what we experienced. Now we can go to a God who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to suffer, knows what it's like to go through pain, knows what it's like to go through trial and tribulation. And he's not expecting you to be perfect like he was and he is. But he's expecting you to realize he feels what you feel and he's perfect on our behalf. 
Now we can go, we can take our imperfect selves before a perfectly loving God who knows what it's like to be human and knows what it's like to suffer, knows what it's like to feel what you feel. And we can come to him and we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's pray together right now. Maybe you're watching today. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me out loud. Just pray this, Heavenly Father. If you never received Jesus as your Savior, and Lord, pray this out loud, Heavenly Father. I invite Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior and Lord. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. From this moment forward, I'm a child of God. If you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. If you're right here, I'd hug you, but just I give you a hug right where you are. I hope you feel it from God, from the Holy Spirit. Write me, message me, and you can download my book, The Power of New Life for free as my gift to you. It's the next steps of this Christian journey. And for all of us, let's stay connected. Let's stay close. Let's learn this true love and walk in this. And let's give ourselves and give each other time empathy, love, and I'll see you at our next service. God bless.